Good morning. I'm Linda Smith, and today on Ask BBB, real estate. Questions to ask as you prepare to buy, and things to keep in mind when arranging for a mortgage. Plus, we'll discuss two-factor authentication. What is it, and why you should be using it? Our first guest this morning is Kathy Amos. Broker of Record at Peak Professionals Realty, Inc. Welcome, Kathy, to Ask BBB. Good morning. Buying a new home is a huge task and can be especially daunting if it is your first time. What should a first-time home buyer be doing to prepare for their first home purchase? Uh, well, first thing they should do is find a mortgage person to get pre-approved. So that could either be their bank or a mortgage broker or um, someone like that to make sure that they know where they stand in terms of their finances because there's no point in looking at homes that you can't afford. So it's pretty disappointing if you go look at a house that's way above your budget, you fall in love with it, and then you go talk to the bank and you find out you can't afford it. So that should be absolutely everyone's first step. Um, And then after that, they should be consulting a realtor so that they can get a game plan going as to, you know, what type of home they're looking for, what they need in their home, the areas that they would consider, and uh, things like that. Uh, Sometimes it's a good idea to interview a couple of realtors if you don't know anybody, um, or ask for referrals from your friends or family, ask what kind of experience that they've had, and, you know, just build on it from there and make sure that you work with someone reputable that's going to get you the house that you like. So what should you expect of an agent showing you homes? Um, you should expect a few things from agents that are showing you homes. First of all, you should expect for them, number one, to listen to what you're saying, because we all come into a situation with our own preconceived ideas. But as as a realtor, it's our job to put that aside and listen to what our client wants and put their needs first, not what we feel they should do or what we think that they should need. So it is really super important that your realtor listen to you above all else. Um, It's also really, really important to deal with someone that you trust. So you want to make sure that this person has your best interests at heart, that they're not, um, you know, trying to push you maybe towards something that you're not comfortable with. Um, So follow your gut where where that goes. So if you feel like that person is, um, you know, just not maybe doing the best they can for you, ask around maybe some others what their experience has been. And don't be afraid to ask that that realtor or 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 um you know confront them with something that you're maybe not comfortable with because it's the one of the biggest decisions and purchases that most people make. So you want to make sure that that person is in your corner and that they're really working for your best interests and no one else's. Okay, so now I've made a decision and we've selected an agent. How do I find out about the condition of a home or the homes I'm considering? Well, when you go through the homes with your agent, if, you know, as long as you're working with a good agent, they're going to point out things in the house that you should notice. Like we look at homes every day, whereas you as a buyer only look at them when you're ready to to make this move. So we see things that maybe you wouldn't see. So your realtor should be pointing out things to you that maybe look a little off or things that aren't done properly or things that might come up as a issue for you later on. The other thing is doing home inspections. So most buyers do do a home inspection when they purchase a home. 
sometimes you do that before you put your offer in. Sometimes it becomes a condition of your offer. But it is an option to do a home inspection. It takes a couple hours usually to go through the home. The inspector goes through, you go through with them, and then they point out any issues that might come up that you might have to deal with in the future. So then again, you have a game plan and you have uh, some sort of budget to know what you're looking at dealing with down the road. Okay. So what can a buyer expect when putting an offer on a home? And in my offer, is price the only factor? Uh, Right now, the real estate market in London is pretty brisk. I'm sure everybody's heard stories about Toronto and Vancouver and the bigger markets like that. And we are starting to experience some of that in London, certainly not to the same degree that you're seeing in Toronto, but there are lots of multiple offers and lots of competition. So buyers have to be on top of their game. So if a property comes up, they need to look at it right away. Sometimes you might be competing. There might be, you know, five or six offers on a home. So you need to talk to your agent about the conditions that you could put in an offer when you're ready to submit. So I, you know, I already spoke about a home inspection. Sometimes you would do that before you put your offer in so that you can eliminate that condition. So you don't have to worry about having that in. Um, Another normal condition is financing. So again, you might want to go back and talk to your bank or your mortgage broker again so that you can try and eliminate those those conditions and maybe make your offer that much stronger to a seller. Um, so it isn't always just price. Sometimes a seller, depending on their circumstance, will take a lower offer because there's no conditions in it and they know that it's going to be wrapped up tonight as opposed to waiting seven or ten days for you to get your mortgage approved or your financing done. So every seller is different, but again, that's where your realtor comes in and should be able to give you some advice on how to prepare your offer. Okay, so now what factors should we consider when looking at a new home versus a resale? So new homes are a totally different ballgame. New homes generally take a little bit longer to get your contract set up and all of that sort of thing, Um, but you do get to choose everything you want, which is awesome. For most people, some people, it's a bit overwhelming. Um, The other thing with new homes you have to consider is you don't get a deck, you don't get a fence, you don't get window coverings, you know, landscaping, things like that. So if those are things that are important to you, then you need to add the cost of those things on top of your price for your new home so that you know what your final cost is in the end. Okay. So lastly, when looking at a condo purchase in that mix, are there different factors to consider uh, than with a home? Uh, condos, um, when you buy a condominium, it's like you're buying a share in a corporation. So you also have to worry about something that's called a status certificate, which is the financial statement for the condo corporation. Your lawyer will review that information and make sure that you're, you know, buying into something that's stable. So that's, if you're buying a condo, you always want to make sure that that's something that gets reviewed so that you're not going to have any problems down the road. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Kathy Amos, broker of record at Peak Professionals Realty for helping us consider factors when buying a home. When we come back, we'll talk to Dave Providenti from OMAC Mortgages to answer our questions on what factors you should be looking for when looking for a mortgage. Welcome back to Ask BBB. Today, we are talking about buying a home. Buying a home is probably the most expensive purchase you will make in your lifetime. With the average home price being predicted to peak over the $300,000 mark by 2018, 
you need a skilled mortgage advisor to help you navigate. Today, we have Dave Providenti, owner and broker from OMAC Mortgages, to answer our questions on what should you be looking for when you are looking for a mortgage. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Dave, why should someone use a mortgage broker? Well, the main reason is for choice. Uh, When you're dealing with a mortgage broker, you will be um, getting the benefit of his experience in terms of he's got 30, he or she will have 30 or 40 different lenders that he can go to to search for your mortgage. So it's like one-stop shopping. If you just go to one bank, you're only going to be offered what they have on their shelf. A broker will find you the best choice that fits your situation. So does a mortgage broker need to be licensed? Yes, absolutely. In in the province of Ontario, you have to have a a mortgage agent or broker's license to conduct business, and you should be looking for that. You should also be looking for the BBV logo on the broker's information as well, because not only is this going to be one of the most biggest decisions and purchases that you'll make in your lifetime, uh, you need to know that you've got somebody in your corner that is reputable and trustworthy of your business. And that's why you should be looking for both uh, that accreditation and, and the BBB logo, in my opinion. So, Dave, there's been many mortgage changes over the last couple of years. How do you see that impact to the home buyer? The, I mean, the changes that have happened in our, in our industry have been mind-boggling over the last couple of years. Um, the most recent changes that the Liberal government brought out basically took about 25% of the purchasers out of the market by by causing it to be a little more difficult to borrow and, and raising the standards and the levels of interest rates that you need to qualify at. So uh, anybody that is getting into the market for the first time certainly needs a mortgage professional to guide them through these changes and to see how it will impact them. Hmm. So how much do you have to put down as a down payment? Is there a minimum? Well, yes, the minimum down payment now is 5% down. Uh, In previous years, you were able to buy with little or nothing down, but you need to have at least 5% of the purchase price as your down payment. So given that, how do I know if I'm financially ready to become a homeowner? The best step that you can take is to get yourself pre-approved. And what that does is we'll be able to take a little bit of information from you. It can be in person or over the phone, but we'll figure out exactly how much you can qualify for in terms of a purchase price, how much the down payment is going to be, and what documents that you're going to need to provide when it comes to um, you know being finally approved for this mortgage, just so there's no surprises. That's the whole benefit of being pre-approved in writing is that you'll have no surprises after you've made the offer on your home. So is there a specific type of income proof that I do have to have and do have to provide? Absolutely. Everybody has to provide some kind of income confirmation, whether it's uh, pay stubs, a letter from the employer, tax returns. And by the way, you could be asked to provide all of those things depending on your situation. So are there different types of mortgages that we should consider? Certainly. I mean, the basic differences are open and closed mortgages, but there's also fixed and variable rate mortgages. There's quite an array of products that the client can choose from. So it is really something that we need to sit down and talk about on a case-by-case basis. Dave, is there a mortgage insurance premium that I need to pay? And if yes, when in the process does it have to be paid? Okay. An insurance premium needs to be paid on any mortgage where you're putting down less than 20%. You can, uh, down payment that is. You can avoid this insurance premium if you have a minimum of 20% down. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this insurance premium is actually paid uh, in the mortgage. You have a choice of having it included in your mortgage. So most people don't uh, 
pay this out of their pocket. But if you're putting down less than 20%, be aware that there is an insurance premium that gets added on to your mortgage. So for our listeners, can you walk us through a step-by-step process of applying for a mortgage? Okay. Well, with OMAC mortgages, it's really easy. You can either uh, look us up online. You you can apply online to our confidential server, or you can come into the office or or talk to us right over the telephone. We'll take a little bit of information that way, uh, such as where do you work, uh, where do you live, and they want to see basically a three-year history of this, a three-year history of your residence as well as your employment. Uh, we will be asking for confirmation of this employment afterwards, so we want to be as accurate as possible. Once we've taken that information from you, we're going to basically enter it into our system and we'll send it out for a pre-approval to one of our lenders. What will happen then is a lender will come back to us and say, okay, we like these clients, we will approve them for X number of dollars, and then they will also confirm here's how much down payment is required and here's the documents that are required. So that step is really important in the whole process. If you go out and look at homes before getting pre-approved, you're really putting the cart before the horse. You need to get pre-approved first so that you know what price range you should be looking in so that you don't fall in love with a place that isn't in your price range. It's the worst thing you can do. It's very disappointing and you're wasting a lot of time. So I really encourage folks to take that step of getting pre-approved first before getting out there and looking around. Okay. Thanks, Dave. That's terrific information, actually, to share. Um, I want to thank Dave Providenti, owner and broker from OMAC Mortgages, uh, for sharing uh, information today with our listeners. Up next, we'll discuss two-factor identification. What is it and why is it important? Welcome back to Ask BBB. Earlier this week was National Better Business Bureau Password Day, where we encouraged everyone to change their passwords. Today we ask, is there anything else that we can be doing to protect our information online? And to discuss this, our communications manager, Ashley Castleman, will be talking about two-step authentication. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Ashley, we talked about the top 10 scams and changing your passwords earlier this month. What else can we do to protect the information we give them? Well, a great way to add an additional layer of security to your information is using what's called uh, strong strong authentication or two-factor or two-step authentication. It goes by a few different names, but uh, that's another way you can add another layer of security. So what is it? What is two-factor authentication? Strong authentication goes beyond just a username and password. It's a way to lock down your information using multi-factor authentication. It helps you prove who you are online by providing multiple forms of identification. Uh, You already use this in your current life. For example, when you go to use an ATM, you're using your bank card and your PIN number. So using those two things together creates a stronger sense of security. So, Ashley, what are some options for two-factor authentication? There's a few different uh, different forms of it. The first one is uh, using a security key. This is um, a small device that you plug into your USB port that you have in your possession while logging on. The second one is uh, biometric. You're already familiar with this if you have a newer smartphone, such as an iPhone. It uses a fingerprint or a camera, typically found in your mobile device, that verifies your fingerprint before unlock, unlocking an app or your phone to, to release the security. The third kind is a one-time code. It's a unique code that you enter into a website 
or an application before you sign up for it or open an app. It usually is sent to you by text uh, to your phone before you can proceed with uh, signing up for a new application. So if I turn on strong authentication, will I have to take an extra step every time when I log into my account? Not necessarily. A lot of apps uh, and services, you will only need to take that extra step when logging in from a new device or if it's in a different manner than you have previously logged on. So why aren't usernames and passwords enough to protect my online accounts? Hackers are very resourceful, and using just a username and password is no longer enough to keep your account secure. Anyone with your username or password can access your account uh, by locking down your lo- login. It ensures you're actually trying to access your account by offering multiple forms of verification by using a security key or features such as a thumbprint or entering a one-time code through an app on your mobile device. Many people use the same passwords for several several accounts, making your accounts even more vulnerable to uh, scammers and cyber criminals. So does it cost anything? No. Most of the popular online accounts, such as Facebook and your um, banking accounts, offer strong authentication uh, for free. Turning on strong authentication sounds complicated. Is it? Definitely not. Many popular online services and websites have made it quite easy. Um, one good way to learn more about this is by going to lockdownyourlogo.com, and they offer a step-by-step guide for many um, common services that you'd be using this for. So if protecting my personal information is important to me, if I turn on strong authentication, what type of information is collected about me? Most of the time when you turn it on, it'll be simply as downloading an app or submitting a phone number. Uh, For more information, you're going to want to ask the website or the app developer yourself. Uh, Check out their privacy policy and it'll tell you a lot of that information. So if I turn on strong authentication using my biometrics... What happens to my data? Biometrics such as fingerprints uh, or voice recognition uh, are being more common to use to protect your account. Uh, The security of storing this information can vary from app to app. Um, For example, when unlocking a phone with a fingerprint, the phone typically uses and stores um, a copy of that fingerprint, uh, locally affording users more control over the biometric information. Um, biometrics used to access online accounts may be handled a little bit differently. They may be stored locally or centrally uh, in a cloud or a company server. And again, you're going to want to ask the company what they do with it, how do they store it, if you are concerned about that information. So what if strong authentication isn't offered on a website or an app? Uh, You have to keep in mind, not every site or service uh, uses the two-factor authentication. Always double-check with the company and ask if added protection is available. A lot of companies have a simple contact us, so you can send them a quick email about this. It may not always be evident at first glance if it is offered. If a site does not yet offer this service, the best practice is to use a strong password, such as the tips that we gave on last week's segment, uh, such as use a long password, at least 8 to 12 characters, use a combination of uppercase, lowercase, and special characters. This will make it a lot more difficult for um, hackers to get into your information. And with biometrics such as fingerprints, facial recognition, voice recognition, or iris scans entering the uh, marketplace, 
Are passwords going away? Definitely not. While many people believe that passwords may have outlived their shelf life, passwords are still likely to be around for some time. You might still need to use a username and password to log in as part of this process. Um, it's important to still create a strong password using the tips um, that we talked about earlier. Okay, so that's a lot of information to share on an <laughs> on interesting topic. Thank you, Ashley Castleman, our very own Better Business Bureau Communications Manager. So next week on Ask BBB, our co-host Jim Swan will be back on the show and we'll be discussing new changes and regulations when buying a used car and what you need to know before purchasing. So remember, you can always Ask BBB. Visit the website at BBB.org. Contact us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at BBBWesternONT. If you have any questions or guest suggestions, tweet us at hashtag AskBBB. Again, thank you to our program producer, Ashley Castleman, BBB Western Ontario's communications manager. And so, until next time, I'm Linda Smith. And remember, start with trust.